Hello, I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and welcome to Winning as Women, brought to you by the Compete Network, powered by Clue. Today, we have Amber Dybert. Amber, welcome. She is a performance coach for enterprise sellers. She coaches folks one-on-one, but also offers courses on mindset and imposter syndrome. She has been credited by some of the top enterprise sellers in B2B tech for helping them get out of their own way and actually achieve the bigger life that they all dream of. And what I love most about Amber's work is when the sellers she coaches share their personal experiences about what they've learned and actually overcome through working with her. I think that's the moment that everyone in their community starts to benefit from. And I believe that we need to hear more of these stories so that we don't fall into the trap of feeling alone or even unique in our suffering, because the reality is we all have to put in work to manage our mindset and no one gets off easy in my experience. And so Amber, I'm wondering if that is consistent with what you see in your coaching. Oh my gosh, yes. girl, you nailed it. I mean, 100%. And that's why, I mean, imposter syndrome, I feel like is becoming buzzwordy and I love that and I maybe don't like it, but on the one hand, I'm so glad that people are finally talking about this because I feel like 10 years ago, everybody was experiencing it, but nobody was talking about it. And it's not until you hear other people explain the same weird feeling that you're feeling. That you're like, oh, I'm not the only one. So I love that there's conversation about it, just exactly what you talked about, to normalize the experience that you're having because every single person experiences it. Yeah. And I think to that point, we don't always know what the what the name of it is. And so we sit there going, what's wrong with me? Am I, you know, I this used to feel different or I used to be different or is this not a right fit? And I think we just, we don't have the name for it always, especially if we haven't gone through it before and named it for what it is. And so in terms of naming it, um, this big blocker, again, that we all face, imposter syndrome, what is your definition of it? So I like to say imposter syndrome has three different flavors and you might experience all three. You might experience one. The first flavor is that you feel like a fraud. You feel like people are going to find out that you don't know what you're doing. They're going to come and like shine the spotlight on you and be like, we found you out. You're making all of this up. (laughs) And that's the fraud. The second flavor is feeling like you just got lucky, feeling like you were just in the right place at the right time. The people who put you in this position didn't know what they were doing. They didn't realize fully what they were doing. They were temporarily incompetent, which is super interesting because this goes hand in hand with at the same time, you feel like you shouldn't be where you are. The people around you are smarter, more skilled, more experienced, and you don't belong with them somehow, but they also had to be incompetent to put you in that position. So they can't be smart and incompetent at the same time. Um, So that the first one is fraud. The second one is that you just got lucky. And then the third flavor is that you downplay all your achievements like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Anybody could have done what I did. My favorite example of this is a guy who got a PhD in rocket science and was like, no, like it wasn't that big of a thing. Anybody could have done it. (laughs) Right. Like we're laughing like, no, that's not true. But we do the same things. And what's super interesting is when I'm working with my clients on that particular topic, I always say maybe other people could have done what you did. But let's be honest, most people would not do what you did. They wouldn't go through the hard the hard work that you did the grind that you did the like constant like pushing that you did and so Mm. maybe the other people would be capable of it but they just wouldn't do what you did Mm. oh that's so interesting especially that part where you're you're uh 
to make your story or that narrative you have that I'm a fraud or mm-hmm. that person was temporarily incompetent, you're yes. literally having to project that on someone else to say, yeah. you know, like that's that's wild that we do that. And yeah. I, I totally recognize that. I've done yeah, that myself. I have a, a good friend, she was doing a PhD program in women's studies and she was like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't know how my application slipped under the door. Like, I'm not smart enough to be here because everybody around me is super, super smart. And I was like, who are the people that put you in the position? Is it the smart people? She's like, yes, it's the super smart people that put me here. Like, so how can they be smart and also not know about you? You know, like you are, you just have to own that. Like you are, you earned it. The people who put you in the position knew what they were doing. (laughs) I think that that's a really powerful tool if you're facing imposter syndrome or something else. Just that ability to... Um, inquire about that narrative that you have um, and just ask those, you know, initial testing questions. Like, is this actually true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the actual proof that this is true? Cause I'm not yes. sure if it actually right. is. Would everyone right. that I, you know, objectively ask, would they have the same belief here? Yes. Or is this something that I'm believing for a certain reason? Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. So Amber, have you faced um, imposter syndrome yourself? So much. <laughs> okay. I think the reason that I am kind of obsessed with imposter syndrome is because I have experienced so much of it. So one of the key indicators of imposter syndrome is that you feel like the odd one out. And I'll tell you my story about how I felt like the odd one out. But this can show up in many different ways. You might be the only one of your gender in the room or at the quote unquote table. You might be the only one of your race, the only one of your orientation, the only one of your background the only one with your experience level. Maybe other people have a different level of education than you have or a different like path that they've taken to get where they are and you feel like the odd one out. So for me, I grew up in poverty. I was homeschooled. I grew up in this super like blue collar town. I went to a state school and then fast forward and I found myself living in San Francisco in the middle of the tech boom I was working for a unicorn tech startup and I got promoted to manager for the first time. And I was surrounded by people who had gone to Ivy League schools. And I was like, they are going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. Like, A, I'm poor. I wasn't poor, but you know, like in my head, it was like, I grew up like with nothing. Like they're going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. And it was such a, like, it was such a mental challenge because I think, um, what I thought, and you talked about this a little bit at the very beginning of how we compare ourselves to others. And for me, it was like, I just thought that maybe it wasn't in my DNA to be confident. I thought maybe this was just like who I was. I was just somebody who wasn't confident because I looked around my peers and it was like, well, they seem really confident. How are they so confident? Like maybe it's just something that you're born with. And it wasn't until I learned these mindset tools, that I realized like it has nothing to do with, with who you are and what your DNA is. Your imposter syndrome is not um, it's not a fault that you have. It's not something that you're going to experience forever. Um, and you can feel just as confident in it as anybody else. Okay. What I, what is, this is reminding me of exactly what you're saying here. And thank you for highlighting, you know, your story and, and being open with that. Uh, cause what you're saying there is that it's, it's not something that you will continue to suffer with. Yes. So it's not permanent. It's not pervasive. Right. It's not personal. Okay. Well, the name of it, and one of our our very first uh, episode that we had on Winning as Women, Jen Murtaugh, 
um, the founder of or co-founder of Matern said, it should not be called a syndrome. Yes. That implies that it's going to be, it's like something I must long suffer with. I have it. Others don't, you know, and I was condition. like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Right? So I'm so glad you brought that up. The, the researchers who named it imposter syndrome, they were doing research in the seventies and they noticed a trend among professional women that they would downplay their achievements. And they saw this trend. And I think it's so fascinating that it started with professional women and it, like, it's very widespread. It's not just women who experience it. But they noticed that they would downplay it, and so they called it imposter syndrome. Those same researchers later said they wished they would have called it the imposter effect because mm. it is not a diagnosable thing. It's not a mental health problem. It's a passing phase that you feel from time to time. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And the piece with that is that there's so much power and action that you have uh, within that. Like I can move myself out of this, you know, I yeah. just need to like shift my belief within this. Well, and I, yeah, we'll get into the details of like how to overcome it. I think of it as like, I don't have to give it as much, like it's going to show up period. It's not something that you get rid of. And to be honest with you, for me, it's not something I want to get rid of now. I still experience it all the time, but now I've reframed it in a way of seeing it as a, as a benefit. And I also want to like, I know we'll probably get to this later, but I think there's, in talking about what imposter syndrome is, I think it's really important to also talk about what it isn't. So a lot of people have this pervasive self-doubt that's debilitating. And that's not really imposter syndrome. If you feel like you have this self-doubt that shows up in multiple areas of your life, like I'm not a good enough wife and I'm not a good enough employee and I'm not a good enough whatever, like everything feels like you're not good enough, that is not imposter syndrome. And I think it gets lumped in with imposter syndrome. And that is something that is probably you've been carrying around with you for decades. And that is probably from a wound in the past that therapy would be really, really helpful for you to help heal that wound so that you're not carrying that weight around. Imposter syndrome is something that is a passing phase. But if you feel like this pervasive self-doubt that is holding you back, find a therapist that you can trust and start to heal that wound. Yeah, that's a great um, great comment to separate the two. And I think that m what might help that too is uh, identifying some common signs for people of, you know, if, when you are working with someone that you're going, okay, you know, I think that this could be imposter syndrome. Are there any of those signs that you could maybe share? So just to get into like fully, I'm dipping into like how to solve imposter syndrome. Um, the way that I think about imposter syndrome is imposter syndrome is the natural consequence of being in a growth phase. So I want you to imagine like physical growth. Like let's say you're really good at CrossFit and then you switch over and you start doing Zumba and you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. Everybody seems like they know the moves. They're all like highly skilled at this. You go home from your first workout. You're like, I have muscles that hurt that I didn't even know existed. Um, it's the same thing as getting promoted or getting a new role or like have, being assigned a new project. You're trying something new that you've never tried before. And when it's physical discomfort, when you like try a new workout, that soreness that we feel, that muscle soreness, we tell ourselves like, oh, it's working. Like, yes, it's uncomfortable that we feel that muscle soreness, but we use it as a sign that what we're doing is working. And I think of imposter syndrome as literally the exact same thing. It's a discomfort that tells you you're growing. And this is where like, 
so many of my clients will be like, well, but I don't know what I'm doing and people are going to find out that I'm making it all up. And I, I'm like, you're right. You don't know what you're doing because you've never done it before. Like who said that you would know? Who said that you become a new manager and suddenly you like know how to manage people? Like you probably have some intuition, but like there are skills and tools and techniques that you can learn and it's going to feel uncomfortable when you're doing it for the first time. So what I always love to say is um, I love to think about a time in the past when you had massive imposter syndrome over some new skill that you were learning. So I work with a lot of sellers. For my clients, it's it's usually like, think about your first discovery calls that you did. Think about your first cold outreach that you did. The first times you're doing something new, you feel like a massive imposter because you've never done it before. You don't know how to do it and you feel like people are going to find you out. Of course, you feel that way because you've never done it before. And after you do it, 10, 20, 50 times, pretty soon you don't feel like a fraud anymore. You're like, oh, I've done it so many times. I know I can do it again. That's where imposter syndrome is a passing phase. It literally cannot last because once you learn the skill, you'll no longer feel like you can't do it anymore. But what where people go wrong is they'll be like, well, I feel like an imposter for the last 15 years of my career or 10 years of my career, or five years of my career, whatever. Like my whole entire career, I felt like an imposter. And without knowing anything else about you, if I hear that you felt that way, I know that your trajectory has been a hockey stick. I know that you've pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone so many times. You're always in a growth zone and you've been promoted probably a lot. People see you as a high performer. And so you've grown much more quickly than other people. It doesn't mean that you have a problem and you have this diagnosable imposter syndrome. It means you're somebody who frequently is growing, period. That's it. And you can look and see like, well, I had imposter syndrome about that. And then it was something else. And then it was something else. And then it was something else. But it's, it's inevitable that it disappears if you just keep going period yeah so like giving yourself a break <laughs> feels right. important in this being kind to yourself uh yeah. that story that you talked about with sellers i i was having a coaching call with a seller recently and they were telling me that their cold call you know they're kind of resistant to it they're like i'm just not feeling in my zone with it it feels so uncomfortable for me especially calling into this new persona um and I was like, what about your your emails and your your LinkedIn reach out? So your cadence is there. They're like, oh, that's easy. And I was like, okay. So do you remember a time when it wasn't? And they were like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. It used to take me forever. I would, you know, sweat over the details around it. I was, you know, so uncomfortable with it. And I'm like, yeah, so what do you now know about cold calling? And they're like, I just do it. And over time, the practice and the, you know, repetition and I learn from it and okay. Okay. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's, it's the, I think reminding yourself that, um, that you're never, it's not always a beginning either. You can always, you can look back and see how much work you've put in to get you to the place that you're at today. And that's a good grounding because otherwise you can believe, oh, it's a fluke. But if I actually take the time and look at the events and the experiences I've had that led me to have the position or even just the perspective that I have today, that's empowering, the look back. Uh, and then I think when you have the um, the look back, you start to have that belief of, oh, okay, not that I've, you know, when I've done, when you do something, you can do it again. You've done it once, you can do it again. Um, and then the response is like, well, I haven't done this before. 
well, you have, you've done, you've had this feeling before, you've done this feeling before of new and uncomfortable, and you can do that again, because what Mm -hmm. we know about that is it goes away. Mm -hmm. Right? Totally. I think that's what you're talking about here. Yeah. The opposite of imposter syndrome is complacency. And so for most people, the kind of people who are listening to this podcast, that was like, puts a bad taste in their mouth of like being complacent. And so (laughs) like, I want to be the kind of person that grows. I want to be the kind of person that pushes myself outside of my comfort zone. And imposter syndrome is just the natural consequence of being in a growth mode. And so now when I feel that tinge of imposter syndrome, I think to myself, oh, I'm in my sweet spot. This is where I want to be. And I think there's a totally separate conversation about like, allowing yourself to just be and not feeling like you have to achieve and accomplish and like that's a story for a different time but when you think about like the opposite of this is complacency and that's not really what I want then feeling the imposter syndrome is like that's okay this is a sign to me that I'm learning a new skill and that's kind of fun and I know that I'm not going to feel this discomfort forever I just have to keep putting in the repetitions exactly what what you said no that's great so what would you say, uh, if you have one, is there a framework that you can, that you teach clients on how to best manage it? If there was a couple quick tactics or a model? Yeah. So similar to what you were just talking about, I think it's very, very helpful to write a list of your actual achievements. What the story we all tell in our heads is like, well, if you knew the whole story, you wouldn't think I was that special. And it's really helpful to tell yourself the whole story. And just write down, like, what exactly did you do to achieve where you are? How is it not a fluke that you got where you are? And sometimes just having that paper on your desk to see and remind yourself, like, no, you earned this. You're meant to be here is really helpful. Um, I also love to talk about how there's kind of two major parts of your brain that I think about. There's your primitive brain, which is your lower brain. And then there's your higher brain, which is the newest part of our brains. And your primitive brain is the one that's operating in the moment. Our higher brain is what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. Like other animals can't think about the future, can't worry about the future or agonize about the future and can't plan for the future. And so they have like a tiger is chasing them. And then after the tiger stops chasing them, they go back to like homeostasis. Um, Our primitive brain is the part that's always scanning for risks. It's always looking for the saber tooth tigers and trying to figure out like what's going to kill me. And so it's really helpful to notice that like, you're not self-sabotaging. Your brain's just trying to keep you safe. And it's done a good job. You're alive today, but it's not always accurate in what's going to kill you. And so I think it's really helpful to just realize that like your brain is scanning for risks. That's its job. And you can use your higher brain to be like, actually, I'm not going to die if I send this email. <laughs> like I have a house, there's grocery stores, like I know where my next meal is coming from. And like this actually is not going to kill me. So just being aware of that and not letting your brain run wild with like the, all the worst case scenarios. Um, and then I, I just love to compare it to exercise. I think if we think about our mental growth the same way that we would think about our physical growth and allowing that discomfort to be there and seeing it as a sign that this is working, just like sore muscles is like, oh man, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, like I'm going to get really ripped. This feels very uncomfortable. Hmm. Very cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And what you're making me think of is this is a, a model to really help you build confidence. And I'm wondering what your view is on, or I guess the role maybe that motivation actually plays in confidence. 
So I, this is, I mean, I have my own opinions about all of this. And I think that motivation is a highly misunderstood feeling. I think that we, myself included, like we tend to wait for motivation to go and do something. And motivation is not something that you can have on demand. And it's not something that reliably shows up. I think of it like waves in the ocean. Like, I don't know if you've ever surfed before, but like you'll be waiting for waves and you're waiting and waiting and and then some waves come. And then like the set is gone and then you're waiting, waiting, waiting. And it's the same thing with motivation. Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's not. So if it is here, like ride that wave and like use it to as much as you can, but don't wait for motivation to show up until you start taking action. And with confidence, I also had to really break down my own thoughts about confidence and people are welcome to disagree with me. I thought confidence was something that you're born with and I learned it's not. The way that you earn confidence is through action so I love thinking about my kids I remember when my son was like four or five he was practicing like throwing a basketball into a big basketball hoop and he shot it two times like his first two times that he'd ever shot it and he didn't make it and he was like I suck at this I'm never going to be good at basketball and I thought that was fat like heartbreaking but also fascinating because I'm like I can see how I do the same thing like I'm learning a new skill in my business And it goes terribly. And I'm like, I'm never doing that again. That was the worst. Like, I'm so bad at this. I'm never going to be good at this. And it's so interesting when I look at my kids, I'm like, well, of course you're bad at it. This is only the second time that you've ever done it. And of course you look at me and you're like, well, you're so good. And I'm like, I've got 30 plus years of experience over you shooting a basketball into a hoop. And so I, I look at it that way of like, confidence is not something that you have. Confidence is something that you earn through action. Once you've shot a basketball 50 times, you're going to start feeling confident that you can make it into the hoop. But the first two times, of course, you're not feeling confident because you've never done it before. And you can borrow confidence from other things. Like I remember early in my career, I was learning how to mountain bike and it was like really fun and like really scary. And there would be times when I would like have a networking event at work and I wasn't very skilled in networking. I didn't really know what to do, but I was like, if I can ride down that mountain bike trail that was like super gnarly, I probably can talk to people in a networking event. So like you can borrow confidence from other things that you've done as well. But I think with motivation, like ride that wave when you have it. And if you don't have it, that's okay. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be working on whatever you want to work on. And with confidence, it comes with time. It comes with taking action. So if you want to feel confident, just go do the thing. Yeah, go do the thing. Um, Motivation really should be called discipline in many ways or habit, you know, building. I agree with you. Um, the, in the art of war, Sun Tzu says, fall like a thunderbolt. Um, so act swiftly. Uh, so when you have that, that feeling of, I need to do something or I should do something, just do it. And the doing of it and doing of it quickly builds that confidence. Right. And then continues to fuel your motivation. I think. Yeah. I'm reading this book. I think you would love it. It's called, um, the right call. It's written by a sports writer and she's talking about all the great athletes and what makes them great athletes. And there was one where they had their athletes focused on what they were doing and their performance dropped way down. And then they had their athletes like focus on like counting or humming a tune while they were doing the particular thing and their, their, um, their, they performed better. I mean, I think we get in our heads so much about this. And if you just do it, you're going to probably perform better than if you like think through it too much. 
Oh my gosh. I learned that experience as an adult when I was going through um, a bunch of my coach training. That was probably the first thing that I was, you know, like deadly focused on, laser focused on. And so I was building up frameworks and kind of scripts and models to follow. And as I was doing it, this mentor coach was like, oh my God, you're so robotic. You know, what are you doing? Like throw all of that away and actually just connect with the person in front of you. Read the signs. You have strong intuition. Go. Um, And then I was like, oh God, like trying to tear that you know, paper out of my hands was painful. And the second I did, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not hitting all the points, but I'm hitting, but I'm doing those points better. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're learning the flow of it a little bit. And over time you find that right, right moment. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Amber. So what does winning as a woman mean to you today? Mm. I, saw this quote somewhere and I wish I could remember who it was. It was like Johnny Cash or some like some musician. And they said, success is waking up in the morning, going bed to n- at night and doing whatever you want in between. And that to me is winning. Um, it was so amazing when I quit my job and started my own business. And then I could be with my kids when I wanted to be with my kids. I didn't feel this guilt about it. Um, and also like pushing myself past this imposter syndrome and seeing just how much potential I could eke out of myself. I don't know, for me, winning is like having control and freedom to do what I want to do, which is a whole other story. But that to me is winning. Just knowing like I'm pushing myself to just stretch myself, see how far I can go and doing it on my own terms. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. And so, Amber, I absolutely loved this conversation. Thank you so, so much for joining me and wondering what the be best fun. place. Oh, it, yes. Uh, on our early meets, it was vibes vibes all the time. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much. And what is the best place uh, for listeners to reach out to you, to follow along, uh, keep this conversation going? I will do a plug. I do follow your newsletter and receive that in oh, my nice. inbox. And so that's a, um, I'll give you a plus one for that. Uh, but where else? Um, you can go to, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So come find me on LinkedIn, Amber Dibert, and follow my content there. You can get on my newsletter and you can see my website, mentalmastery.com. Awesome. And to find more episodes of Winning as Women, uh, look to where you listen to your podcasts, actually including YouTube. We're live on video. So while you're there, give the show a rating. We'd appreciate it. And we'll catch you all next time on Winning as Women. 